welcome all of our campuses to our brand new six-week series. Super pumped up about this. I want to welcome you to this series called Fearless. It's a study in 1 Thessalonians. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us? Yes. Man, we're excited to see you guys. Hey, I also want to give a big shout out to our newest campus, our seventh campus, Yes, I was there last weekend, and we're so excited to have you guys with us today. It's called our Atlanta South Campus. It's in Peachtree City. Uh, there was about 100 people that were meeting during the pandemic that asked us if we would come. We prayed about it. We said yes. So can we give it up for our Atlanta South Campus that's joining us right now? Yes. Man, so excited to have you guys. Every year during the fall, I like to teach on a book of the Bible. If you're a guest here, I do it three times of the year. I think there's a value when our kids go back to school. I think there's a value for us uh, as adults to go back to school. And I like to teach through different books of the Bible. So this is what we do. Uh, in September, October, I usually take four to six weeks, uh, and I'll take a different book, sometimes Old Testament, sometimes New Testament. Over the next six weeks, I want to talk to you out of a New Testament book Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. I want to talk to you about how we as a church, similar to that church 2,000 years ago, are confronted with different challenges. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking about it over the next six weeks. I want to begin by saying a couple things. How do we find strength and confidence when our world seems to be shaking and fear seems to be on every side of us? Can we just be honest for a moment? All of us, all of our campuses, there is a lot going on in our world, on every side, locally, nationally, globally. Think about the realities that people are grappling with, all of us, culture shifting. There's more division now than ever before. Peace is diminishing. By the way, last week I was watching the news, and I, I began, well, here we go again. You know, you got North and South Korea. They're kind of warming up over there again off the launch pads, firing missiles. I'm thinking, at any moment, if one of those directs, man, that's not going to be good. And then you've got, of course, what's taking place with Afghanistan. What a travesty. And you've got the resurgence of Taliban. I think it's like, man, what bad timing. Right last week, when all of us as a nation were, of course, mourning once again. a matter of fact, I saw a documentary on 911, and uh, it brought me back. I remember where I was that day. Matter of fact, Pastor Randy Craighead, who's been our long-term executive pastor, has really built the church hand-in-hand -hand with our team and, and been a right-hand person to me. And, and I was with him in the car. It was his first week working at Church of the King. And we were going to a, a staff meeting, and, and, and I, we heard it on the news. And and the tower was hit, and then the other one, and we were just, both of us just started crying. It was overwhelming. And here it is, 20 years later, once again, we see the resurgence of the Taliban and all these potential global terrorist things that could potentially now happen. And I'm thinking, great time. And all the realities of what that means to us, of course, we've got all of the pandemic and all the challenges and all the division in homes attached to that. The medical community, the political community, all of the different aspects of that. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we're asking, what is our role in this? How do we navigate these times? And oh, by the way, for our Gulf Coast campuses, now I know our campuses outside of the Gulf Coast region didn't deal with this, but three weeks ago, we had a hurricane. And by the way, we are believing God for the miracle of trash and tree pickup. Can I have a witness in God's house? 
Can I have a witness? I know our South Shore folks are really believing God. Any moment it's going to happen, just like the return of Christ. Come on, y'all know with me. I had a friend text me last week. He goes, man, he goes, Pat, he, he goes, Steve, actually, Steve, it's from another church. He goes, Steve, man, we're praying, it, praying for you guys again. I heard there's like another storm coming. You know, I prayed. I said, Lord, we got to space this thing out. Just space it out. Just look. How do we deal with stuff like that? How, how do we as followers of Jesus, because everybody, the Bible talks about the rain falls on the just and the unjust. How, how do we deal with that as followers of Jesus? Do we have a different, a different response in the series We're going to answer questions, riveting questions like, how do we live peacefully in an ever-changing culture? Our culture is rapidly shifting around us, philosophically, politically, ideologically, all of these things that are shifting. We're going to address that in this series. Do recent events and global unrest point to the imminent return of Christ? Paul actually addresses that. Matter of fact, I want to say this in week four and five of the series. I think it's the second Maybe the first or second week of October and the third week of October, week four and five of the series, I'm going to be addressing that. Paul talks about the return of Christ. Through this series, it's my hope that you'll gain a greater understanding of what? All these biblical themes, the end times, the antichrist. Paul actually addresses that. Who is this man of sin, the man of perdition? We, Paul addresses that to the church at Thessalonica and the transcendent power of the word of God that, that we can be equipped, that we can stand strong in faith, that we can be fearless regardless of what's happening around us because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. We can stand bold and confident. We, we don't have to put our head in the sand and just, you know, just, no, no. We can actually engage and we can be fearless in the face of fear. Why? Because of the spirit of God. Because of the word of God. I'm, let me just say this. I believe the church, there is no greater opportunity than ever right now for the church to be the city set on the hill. To be the light that the culture so desperately needs. How many of y'all believe that? Paul wrote this book to a vibrant young church in ancient Greece with clear encouragements for the believers in Thessalonica who were living in an ever-shifting world. He encouraged them to not be distracted, discouraged, and deluded. By the way, I believe that's an admonition for us today, to not be distracted. How many people are distracted from the gospel? How many people are distracted from local church attendance? How many people are distracted? Paul would say the same thing. Don't be distracted. Number two, don't be discouraged because of the heaviness of our culture. Don't be discouraged because of the weighty things that we're all grabbing. And he's also talking about don't be deluded because of the many voices that are out there. What does the Bible say? Paul speaks clearly to them, as I believe the scripture speaks clearly to us today, to be steady, to be consistent, to be strong in our faith. And yet, there was also confusion in this first century church of the return of Christ. There was so much confusion about that. And uh, matter of fact, a number of years ago, I taught on the book of Revelation. Last year, the book of Daniel. I've done that twice, actually. And I may teach on Revelation next year. And I've taught on 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, uh, a bunch of series on that. But, but I want to I go to the Bible. I'm so grateful for the Bible. Culture can shift around us. Different voices can be out there. But I'm so grateful for the voice of God that God gave us his word to help us navigate turbulent times. Just like in that first century church, there, there, were, there were questions and concerns about the return of Christ. How will we know? I'll never forget when I was in uh, seminary. 
at the Baptist Seminary, I remember my theology professor, he says, you ought to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. By the way, we don't look to the newspaper to interpret the Bible, but we look to the Bible to interpret current events. I'm grateful that there is an ever-changing book called the Bible. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my, what, say it, word. This is a constant in our life. It is consistent in our life. It is, it is the immutable, inspired, infallible word of God that can, listen, lead us and guide us into a place of safety. How many of y'all grateful for God's word? Y'all grateful for that? Speaking of the end times, there was a pastor and a priest that was standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that read, the end is near. Turn around now before it's too late. Held, the sign was held up for each passing car, and people would yell out, leave us alone. The first one sped by, leave us alone, you religious nuts, to which the car came around the turn. They heard a screech and a plunge. The priest looked at the pastor and says, maybe we should hold up a different sign that simply says the bridge is out instead. <laughs> you may think I'm a religious nut, but yet the Bible speaks specifically about the end times. We don't have to be uninformed. We don't have to be uneducated. We can be equipped with God's word. I want to begin 1 Thessalonians by giving you guys a little bit of background. My message is entitled today, Spiritual Transformation. If you haven't been at Church of the King for long, when I do a Bible book, it's thematic. Exegetical teaching is word by word by word, verse by verse. I'll read every verse, but I won't teach on every verse. So in a sense, it's thematic. I will say this, it's important. I know we used to hand out notes. People are like, when are we going to hand out notes again? Here's an amazing miracle truth. You can bring your own notebook. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So bring a notebook and bring your Bible. Of course, I know people look at their Bible on the phone. That's fine. As long as you're not watching a football game, can I have a big amen? I want to start with a little bit of history, five to seven minutes. I'm going to do this one time in the history of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to get into my message today, all right, on chapter 1. A little bit of background. Paul wrote this to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a city. It was a city then. It is a city today in Macedonia. It was the capital of Macedonia, modern-day Greece. It was a port city, very powerful city, populous city, a popular city as well, and it was a strategic city. Interestingly enough, it was under Roman control. Rome, what Rome would do is they would export Roman culture into any city that they conquered, just like Israel. Remember, uh, the, 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 nation, or the, the, the whole Bible land was under Roman control in the time of Christ. And what they would do is they would export their culture. I'm going to be teaching about that as we go chapter 2, chapter 3. Most theologians believe this was actually... Paul's first church that he planted and the first letter that he wrote. We read about in Acts chapter 17, Paul, as a good Jewish man who was a believer in Jesus, Paul went into the synagogues and that's how he planted churches. He would go and he would reason from the scriptures and the Bible actually says in Acts chapter 17 that he went into the synagogue and he, and he, and he reasoned from the scriptures of who the Christ was, why Christ came and the resurrection of Christ. He was there for three weeks. Amazing church was born. Converts were made. People were discipled. And, and, and then, just characteristically, as it was for all the places you'd go, there was like this revival that broke out, this awakening in the culture, and the Jewish leaders and the Romans got upset about it. 
The Christians took Paul from there and they brought him to another city called Berea. Then he actually went to another city called Athens and then he ended up in Corinth. Why is that important? The Jewish leaders were so upset of this exploding church. They ran in Acts chapter 17. You can read it. And they had a guy named Jason and they drug him to the authorities and because they were upset about all this teaching of Jesus. It was in that context that Timothy, a son in the faith to Paul, That he began to speak to Paul in Athens and then in Corinth. Paul said, my son Timothy, go find out how this church that I planted, how it's doing. Timothy comes back and it's in that context when Paul's in Corinth that he pens around 50 AD. The first letter, right, that he writes. Remember, Paul wrote about 60% of the New Testament. He writes this letter addressing concerns and encouragements he wanted to give to this infant church in Thessalonica. That's 1 Thessalonians. Letters that he wrote. It was a letter, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. In that letter, Paul addresses certain things. He commends them for their faith. He encourages them to stand strong, and he clears up any confusion that they have about the second coming of Jesus. All right, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to talk to you today about spiritual transformation, three keys to spiritual transformation. Number one, faithfulness to Christ. Look at verse two and three. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you. Remember, he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patient of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of our God and Father. Paul begins by thanking. Matter of fact, if you open up most of the letters and read most of the letters of Paul, Paul begins by uh, commending them for their faith, for their consistency, and also thanking God. Why? Because Paul thanked God for them. He thanked God. He also was thanking God that God allowed him to be a part of seeing this infant church born. Let me tell you, apart from knowing Jesus as your personal Savior, there's no greater feeling than knowing that God has allowed you to lead somebody else to Christ. Isn't that a wonderful feeling when God has allowed you to participate in that process? He said, God, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to be a part of this. God, I thank you for them. God, God, I thank you for three things, for their work of faith, for their labor of love, for their patience of hope. Look at verse 3. This is why he's thankful. It's their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Paul, Paul is, is thrilled. His, his heart is swelling with joy like a father over newborn children and a mother just like, oh, my heart is happy to hear. My heart is happy to hear of your, of your work of faith, of your labor of love. And your patience of hope. I want to talk about that just for a moment. I do believe those are hallmarks of faithfulness. You show me somebody that's been faithful to Christ year after year, month after month, decade after decade. They've been faithful to Christ. There's certain ingredients that you find in their heart. And I often see that evidence of their faith is, is, is a certain uh, desire to, 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 to work for the Lord, to, to do good works for God. There's a lot of confusion about works in Christianity. 
Pastor Steve, do our works save us? No, our works do not save us, but our works are evidence that we have been saved. I don't do works to get saved. I do good works because I'm saved. Matter of fact, it's very clear that there is only one work that saves us. It was the work of Christ on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was his work. It was his death, burial, and resurrection that saves us. You cannot save yourself. Christianity, and this is important, every campus hear me, Christianity is not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is when we trust Christ as our Savior. We recognize that we are a sinner apart from Christ, and it's Christ who died. It's Christ who's risen, and it's Christ who comes again. And biblical faith... Biblical faith is when we, we, we trust God. Our works don't produce faith. Our faith produce works. Our faith produce works. Paul says it clearly in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, having been justified by our what? Say it, our faith. It's not your feeding the poor that makes you right with God. We feed the poor because we're right with God. If the line of faith is like this, there's nothing, and this is so important that we understand, there's nothing that I can do that somehow help me. There's, enough, there's, not, there's not enough good deeds that I can do that help me cross the line of faith. But when I get on the other side of the line of faith, my works are an evidence of my faith. Matter of fact, I was so proud. I was so proud of our church of course, and we've been here for 22 years in our, in, in our North Shore location. Now we have campuses all over the Gulf Coast region and beyond. And of course, our online campus. But yet, I was so proud of the people in the greater New Orleans area, and even some for our Mississippi church that showed up. And, and we had two, in, in the midst, in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida, we had nearly 3,000 dream teamers that gave away 80,000 meals and partnering with organizations to be able to help people. Can we give that up to the Lord for God? That's you guys, are, that's y'all. That's every campus. We do good works at Church of the King because we're saved, not to get saved. Paul says, I commend you for your work of faith. Number two, he says, I commend you for your labor of love. Love is about putting the interest of others above our own. Love endures the pain. Love suffers long. Love is, well, love is, it's being committed to people even, even when you may feel discouraged. It's, it's love is reaching across the aisle and loving people that, may don't, that maybe they don't look like you. Maybe they don't even believe like you. Love builds bridges and not walls. Our culture needs that right now. Our culture is so distrustful of everyone. And who better than the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ? He is the head. We are the body. Who better than the body of Christ to demonstrate kingdom unity, that we can walk with people and that we can love people and that we can honor other people? Paul says, number one, I commend you and I thank God for your work of faith and number two, for your labor of love. Number three. He says, I thank God for your patience of hope. I thank God that people were patient with me when I gave my heart to Christ. I, th I thank God for the Pastor Dougs, who wasn't always a Pastor Doug, who was a Brother Doug. <laughs> we don't do that as much anymore, but it used to be in the 80s, it was brother and sister, everybody. But I thank God for men and people that were committed to me because I was a piece of work. Ask my parents. 
When I gave my heart to Christ, I thank God for their patience with me. And Paul said, I thank God for your patience of hope with people, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of hostility and and opposition to the gospel. You've been committed to people. You've been willing to roll up your sleeves, and you've been been willing to, to, to engage in the discipleship process with people, even when it's cost you. He says, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I thank God for that. You've been patient with people. We, 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 we've, we need to make sure we don't lose the art of being patient with people. We live in an instant culture. We want to produce now. We want people, we want results now. And yet, God was speaking through Paul, commending them for their patience of hope. Reminds me of the story of a young girl named Little Annie. A number of years ago in a mental institution outside of Boston, this young girl known as Little Annie was locked up in a dungeon, in a cage. About that time, the uh, doctors gave up on her. That's a hopeless case of insanity. But there was an elderly nurse. This elderly nurse believed in the power of hope, believed in the power of transformation. and She started having lunch. She would take her lunch and she would sit by little Annie. And she would talk to little Annie, but little Annie wouldn't talk back. One day she made brownies for little Annie, and and she left brownies by the door where the cage door was, and she left brownies there. The next day she came back, and she noticed the brownies were gone. She kept eating lunch with her. Little Annie wouldn't say anything, but the elderly nurse kept talking to her and loving her. And every Thursday, she'd make brownies, and every Friday, she'd come, and those brownies would be gone. Finally, finally, Annie began to talk back. Finally, the conversation began to flow back and forth. Doctors noticed that there was a shift and there was a, there was a change in her to the point that at some point she was, she was coming to her, to, to her senses that they were able to actually reintegrate little Annie back into the general population. At some point, they were, they, they were so amazed by this. And by the way, the nurse was committed. At a certain point, they were able to release her from the mental institution. Little Annie devoted her life to helping others. She was the one who, for 50 years, cared for and taught and nurtured Helen Keller. Little Annie's name was Ann Sullivan. What would have happened if that nurse wouldn't have had patience with her? What would have happened to me if different people wouldn't have had patience with me? Paul commended the Thessalonican church. Oh, man, I thank God for your patience And your belief, the most powerful belief you can have in somebody else is that you can hope and you can instill hope in them that that God can do anything in their life, that God can transform them. How many are grateful that God can transform somebody's life? Number one, Paul was commending them for their faithfulness to Christ. Number two, Paul was commending them for their openness to Christ. Look at verse four and five. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Verse 4 throws out a pretty big theological word. It's the word election. There's been a lot of dialogue about election over the centuries in church and seminaries. And I don't 
pretend to stand up here and to give you all the deep, profound theological meanings of the word. I will say a couple thoughts about it. I don't believe election means that God is up in heaven casting a vote on our behalf because he sees something in us that impresses him before we become a Christian. Matter of fact, I love what D.L. Moody said, the great evangelist. He said this. He said, I'm glad the Lord chose me before I was born. I don't think the Lord would have chosen me after I'd done some living. Don't judge my mom for saying this, but I do remember one time when she said, Steve, if I'd have known like what you'd have been like as a teenager, I would have thought about switching you out in the hospital on the front end. <laughs> now, she's a good, godly mom, and she prayed for her. Mom, I love you. I know she's... But, but I thank God that God did not choose me based upon my behavior, my externals, or whatever that is. You guys remember, you guys remember as kids... And, and I know I'm speaking to my generation here. You guys remember as kids when kids did not stay inside all day long playing video games? They actually, how many of y'all remember we actually went outside in front of our house and played games? Y'all remember that? Now, now, I know for the younger generation, you don't know what it's like to play outside and not play video games. But before we, listen, the first video games we got at the turn of the century were called Atari. Come on, how many of y'all remember? You remember Atari? Okay, so I predated Atari, okay, and we actually played games in front of our house, and it was fun, and, and, it, was, and we, it, it was really great. And so we would pick teams, right? So y'all remember this? Do y'all remember the picking teams? So you'd put people over here, and you'd put people over here, and so you'd have a captain, and you'd pick teams. And so, and so you would always pick who? The fastest, the tallest, okay, okay. And you'd pick why? Because you want to weight the best people that you perceive are on your team. I am so grateful that God does not pick the best because they're the fastest this is how choosing this is how God's election I choose you I choose you I choose you I choose you now you've got to respond to God's choice but I'm so grateful that Jesus died for the whole world how many are grateful for that the whole world you are God's choice verse 5 shows us that God sent Paul and his team to them and the call to repentance. They had a message, but they had power. Paul said, I preach by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I preached. I, it was the power of our word. I, our words did not come to you with, with this, this elocution that we somehow can position words, but there was the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this respectfully. I appreciate all the public speaking courses, and you guys need to do them. You need to do Toastmasters. I think it's great. Dale Carnegie course. All of that's great. But I am not a TED Talk speaker. I'm a preacher with a scraggly voice. And my that you being touched by God is not based upon my voice. It's based upon the Word of God and the Holy Spirit coming off and through that Word of God. That's what brings transformation in somebody's life. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not against good speaking skills. I'm not against homiletics and public speech. I'm not against that. But what I am saying, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that transforms somebody's life. That's what I am saying. It's the Spirit of God that transforms your life and mine. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. He said, I, I, I rejoice in the Lord because you received the gospel and there was, a, there, was, there was great joy, but there was an affliction. Why? Why was there an affliction? Because not everybody was excited, they got saved. Don't let, don't let anybody tell you, don't let any preacher tell you that everybody's going to be thrilled when you get saved. Now, some people may be thrilled, but some people may be convicted. They may not like it. Why? Because now you love Christ. You're a follower of Jesus. 
You became a follower of Christ. And by the way, follow people that are following Christ. <laughs> That's what Paul said. He, he said, I'm so grateful that you're, you become followers. Paul says, only follow me as I'm following Christ. Are you with me? We're not making people in our own image. We're pointing people to Christ. He's the one we're following. His name is Jesus. We don't make disciples in our own image. We lead people to Christ, and then we teach them how to walk with Christ as we learn how to walk with Christ. But don't be, listen, don't freak out if everybody's not excited when you get saved. Not everybody was excited when I got saved. Why? Because now all of a sudden I had different lifestyle choices. I made different decisions. You know what I found as people walk with Jesus? Man, pain comes and, and, and life comes. By the way, life, let me tell you, life happens, all right? And there's always a choice that we have when affliction comes. We can get better or we can get bitter. Pain has a, you guys know that thing in the kitchen because I'm a chef. I'm just joking. I'm just, I'm not. But, but I do know that wooden thing. You guys know that wooden thing with a little block and the thing and, and you hit meat with that. That's called a meat what? Say it out loud. A what? A tenderizer. Can you think about, what are you doing in there? I'm tenderizing. That doesn't seem tender. You're beating the thing. You know what pain can do? Pain can either harden our heart or tender our, tenderize our heart based upon our choice. Paul said, stay open to God. Don't let affliction close your heart off. Let affliction open your heart more to God and people. You can get better or you can get bitter. Oh, yeah, you, you, it's your choice. It's my choice every day. Paul said, I commend you, number one, for your faithfulness to Christ. Number two, because you're staying open to Christ. And let me tell you something. You show me a Christian that's walked with Christ and somehow they get shipwrecked and they get off. It's because they did not process pain at some point in their time, in their life appropriately. They let pain harden them rather than tenderizing them. Yeah, yeah. Number three, the third thing that Paul says here is this commend you because you had passion for people. The Thessalonians were people reachers. Our mission statement at Church of the King is reaching people, building lives. We believe it's biblical. We believe it's the Great Commission. They were disciplers. They invested their lives in people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. These Thessalonians, they followed Paul's example as Paul followed Jesus. Verse 8 says, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out. This is what our culture needs right now. It needs, it needs the faith of born-again Christians that love God. It needs to get out. It needs to get out. There's a different way that you can walk with Jesus. Yes, life is tough, but God is good, and he'll give you the power and the grace and the strength to navigate turbulent times. That's got to get out. It's got to get out. It's got to get out. It's got to get out. The message has got to get out. In every place that you go, it's got to get out. Why? Because it's important. Life, these are life or death issues, by the way. The word of the Lord is sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. It's gone out. It's gone out. It's gone out. You've got a walk, but you've also got to talk. We need both. We need to walk with Jesus, but we also need to talk with Jesus. Talk about Jesus. It's not, it's not an either or. We need to walk it, but we also need to talk it. 
And there's a move in Christianity. Well, we're not just going to say anything because if we say anything about Jesus, they'll just see my light when they'll see my walk. Yeah, they see your walk, but that is assuming that Jesus never talked. I mean, you know, he walked and he talked. And if we're followers of Jesus, we need to walk and we need to talk. At some point in time, we got to open up our mouth and talk about Jesus. You want to be radical in our culture today? You want to get real radical? This is a radical statement. The Bible says, matter of fact, Jesus said, there's no other way to the Father but through him. What? You're judgmental. No, I'm just biblical. John 14, Jesus said, ah, don't have a problem with me. Have a problem with Jesus. It's in red. John 14, Jesus said, here it is, Jesus, stand up. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everyone say, no one. No one, no one comes to the Father but through, everybody say it, me. That's Jesus talking. Yeah. Wow. The Bible says that's the Bible. Spirituality doesn't get you saved. Jesus saves you. You don't get saved because you sit in a room and you kind of lower the lights and chat and kind of get one with the universe. You get saved because the bloody cross. There was somebody who died on a cross. His name's Jesus. He was bare and he rose again. And he'll, he'll wash your sins, forgive you, and give you a new life. That's how you get saved, when you trust Christ. <laughs> Verse 9 and 10, I'm almost finished. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had. Please stay with me. This is important. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living God. And true God. How you turn to God from. So there's a turning from and there's a turning to. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Oh, there is a wrath coming. But I thank God that, I'm, that we as believers are going to be delivered from the wrath to come. We're going to talk about that week three and four. I'll close with this. Spiritual transformation. How does it happen, pastor? They turn from something. He said, I commend you. You've turned from something. I want to say a statement. I know this is a heavy statement, but it's a biblical statement. When some Christian tells me that, it, well, Christianity didn't work out. No, Christianity works. The problem is you didn't repent when you got saved. You just wanted to turn to, but you didn't want to turn from. Christianity is I turned from. When I gave my heart to Christ, I had to lay aside sexual immorality and substance abuse. But I didn't do it in my own strength and power. I did it by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. That's biblical Christianity. We did not subscribe to an ideology or a philosophy or some mind science, but we met a person who changed our life, and we have to let go. Biblical Christianity, I want everybody to hear me. Biblical Christianity, by the way, that's called the Christian life. It's a life of repentance. It's a turning from and a turning to. Now, let me just say this. My, turn, my from is different than maybe you're from, but you've got a from. Don't let anybody, you've got a from. <laughs> Trust me, you got a from. I think your from's probably bigger than mine. But anyway, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's Christianity. It's a life of repentance. What is it? It's a life of change. I'm turning from and I'm turning to. I'm not turning from. Let me tell you, I'm not just turning from something uh, in my own story. I'm turning to someone that gives me the power to change. He says, you let go of idols, you turn from idols, and you turn to a living God. That's transformation. That's how spiritual transformation, that's how you walk with God. That's how change happens. Turn from, and you turn to. That's biblical Christianity. And I'll close with this. Their life was characterized by an expectant waiting for Jesus to return. Question, do you live waiting for his return? A pastor, what if it's going to be 100 years. Well, maybe, maybe next month. I'll tell you in the Bible, I don't think it's as long as it used to be. By the way, is this the last time? I, I don't know if it's the last days. It's your last days. 
meaning you're not going to live in another generation. Question, are you ready? I'm asking you that. I'm asking everybody. Pastor, are you talking to me? Who do you think I'm talking to? <laughs> of course I'm talking to you. Are you ready? There's lots of things that we need to look forward to. Oh, Pastor, I'm looking forward to a new house, new car. Oh, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Educate. Nothing. That's great. But there's something bigger to look forward to. John the Revelator ends the book of Revelation. He said, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, yeah. I'm going to talk about week three and four. I believe, I believe, this is what my belief is. I, I believe things are really lining up. And I'm going to tell you, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm not perfect. I've been forgiven, and Christ lives in my heart. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I want to be totally, but I'm not who I used to be. I'm growing in God. Question, are you ready? I'm asking every. are you ready to stand before God? I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. I've got just one minute left, but before I go, I'm going to ask all of our campus pastors to come on the stage right now, and I'm going to turn it over to you in just a moment. But do you know Christ? Do you know that you know? Everybody, do you know Jesus? The Jesus I'm talking about, the one that forgives and loves you, the one that wants to transform your life. Are you ready to stand before God? See, I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. No man can save you. A pastor can't save you. A priest can't save you. Jesus saves. My question is, have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Are you at peace with God? At the count of three, at every one of our campuses, if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need the blood of Christ to wash me and to cleanse me and to make me new. If that's you, I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to hesitate. All those that are online, please lean into this as well. Pastor Steve, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. At the count of three, I want you to lift your hand up high so I can see it. One, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you right there. God bless you guys. God bless you up top, man. Anybody else? Pastor Steve, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you, hon, right there. Anybody else? I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. Praise God. God bless you, sir, up top. God brought you here today, sir. God brought you here. Church, let's bow our heads and let's pray with all those that are trusting Christ. This is the most important prayer you could ever pray. Right here. Here it is. Here it is, a prayer of salvation. Everybody say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Wash with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Give me 30 seconds. Everybody that prayed and, trust, prayed and trusted Christ, their Savior, there's a card behind your chair called My Decision. You can fill it out, place it in the buckets on the way out, or you can put the word decision, text it to 822-822. I want to send you some information, tell you what it means to serve the Lord on a daily basis. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Did you guys enjoy that today? I'm just telling you, get ready. I'm going to be teaching every one of them, get ready, get ready, get ready. And you're going to get filled with faith. We can live fearless regardless of what's happening in our culture. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. We've opened up our altar again for prayer team uh, after every service. Whatever your needs are, we're here for you. Father, bless your people as they go forth this day. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that we can live strong and bold and confident because of what you've done in our hearts. Bless your people as they go forth this day in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Come on. Can we bless the Lord?
If you need prayer, we're here for you. Please come forward. God bless. Man, what an incredible message. As we wrap up today's service, I wanna ask, did you give your life to Jesus today? If so, congratulations. We are so pumped for you and we believe this is the best decision you're ever going to make. Yes, today the Bible says that you have eternal life. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. From this day forward, you belong to God and you are part of His family. Isn't that amazing? And as always, we want you to know that we are here for you as a church. In fact, if you need someone to pray with you right now, just let one of our hosts know in the chat. We have trained hosts who are ready to pray with people in a live private chat room. And we don't wanna just pray with you right now. We would love to be able to walk with you on this journey of following Jesus, not just today, but in the future as well. So there's a link in the chat room right now. If you could click that and fill out the short form, we'd love to hear more of your story and point you towards more resources as you begin this journey. With that being said, we can't wait to see you next week. We're continuing our new series, Fearless. But before we close, let me just ask you, do you know someone who could use some fresh faith and hope and to learn how to live confidently even when times are uncertain? Why don't you take a minute and invite them to church with you next week? And as always, we can't wait to see you here again. So have an amazing week and we'll see you soon.